Well, hey, if it's your first time, welcome here. Um, we are a new church community in Metro Vancouver, and we are currently in a teaching series called Renewal, Reawakening, and Revival. Uh, and the whole point of this teaching series serves as, uh, as we've kind of coined the word in the series, as a consecration of our community to the Lord. And so we just launched our community this past September formally, but it's kind of been in process for the last few years. And so as we kind of take um, a metaphorical step forward as a community, it's really important that we share and uh, kind of uh, get around the same values as a church, as a community, in how we practice the way of Jesus. Um, and for the next six weeks as a, as a community, we want to really get around prayer, uh, when we read scripture, uh, the one thing that the disciples ask Jesus to teach them is not how to preach, not how to perform miracles, not how to walk on water, none of that. It's how to pray. And I think often as Christians, we, we sometimes have uh, this mindset of like, we're going to pray before we actually do the work. Where in actuality, prayer is the work. And so today we're going to begin with unpacking the first petition, which is, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Again, for these disciples of Jesus, you know, like for three years, they walked alongside their teacher, their rabbi, their Messiah, and they probably knew just from observing, just from doing life with Jesus, that everything that Jesus did flowed from his relationship with the Father. That's why they ask him, how do we pray? And so before we get into this uh, petition, just I want to provide some general context to the, the prayer at large. Um, so in the Gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's the four first, four first, first four, first four books of the New Testament. Um, and they're all different, um, I guess, perspectives or recollections of the life of Jesus. So they're all the same story, but different perspectives. And so the Lord's Prayer is only found in two of the Gospels, which is in Matthew and Luke. And so our teaching text that Amy so kindly read today is from Matthew. And so although this quote-unquote model prayer that Jesus teaches is only found in two of the Gospels, that doesn't mean that Jesus only taught this prayer twice. He probably taught it numerous times uh, throughout probably different weeks, different months, in all the different spaces that Jesus was in and around people. He probably often always taught this prayer. And so when we look at this prayer and we break it down, there's six petitions to the Lord's Prayer. Um, we can divide it into two halves. Uh, the first half is, um, it centers around the pronoun your, and the second half of the prayer centers around the pronoun us. Your name, your kingdom, your will. And then petitions four to six, give us our daily bread, forgive us of our sin, lead us not into temptation. And directly right in the middle of this prayer, we, we see this very specific um, clause, on earth as it is in heaven. And this clause is really important to this prayer, and it's so purposely set right into the middle because it is a prepositional phrase. For those of you that are not grammarians, is that what you say? Like, I don't know if English was not your major, it's not mine. Um, <laughs> because I know I lost probably most of us in the room when I said that. Um, why don't I provide the Google definition of what a prepositional phrase is? Here we go. A word governing and usually preceding a noun or a pronoun and expressing a relation to another word or element in the clause. As in, 
the man on the platform. She arrived after dinner. Who did you do it for? You kind of get what I'm, I'm saying here, prepositional phrases. And so this specific clause that is found right in the middle of the prayer actually pertains to the front and also the back. And so on earth as it is in heaven, it actually locates the Lord's heavenly realities in our earthly dimension. And so we'll unpack that as we continue on for the next several weeks. Um, another interesting aspect of this model prayer, the Lord's prayer that Jesus teaches, are the specific verbs that Jesus uses. Verbs are action words, okay? Um, so uh, here we go. Hallow, come, be done, give, forgive, lead not, and deliver. And so all of these verbs, with the exception of lead not, are in the, I'm using another big grammar word, they're in the imperative mood. Do you, you know, I mean, you're a teacher, so I mean, I guess you know, right? So what is the imperative mood? Imperatives are commands. Imperatives are commands. Here, I'm going to give you some examples so you can continue to track with all the grammar we're dropping right now. Um, here's an example of an imperative, which is a command, in a negative sentence. Do not talk to me like that. Do not make that sound. We'll move on to another example. Negative questions with imperatives. Shall we not go out? Shall we not come in? Does that, I don't even know that one makes sense. I made that, I don't know. <laughs> grammatically, grammatically, this is actually very peculiar, especially in a prayer, um, that we're, we're using these imperatives, we're using these commands when we're talking to the Father. And so, again, typically when you're talking or addressing a superior, let's say in a workplace, like talking to your supervisor or your, or your manager, you're probably not going to talk to them in the imperative mood, right? You're not going to command your superior because with the imperative mood, there's clearly this like forcible tone of command, right? That's what the imperative, the command implies. There's a, there's a forcefulness that comes from it. And so a little FYI, let's also be clear that requests are not commands. Requests are not commands. And so in each petition of the Lord's Prayer, these are powerful commands in the imperative mood, which kind of seems odd, right? Because we, again, we wouldn't talk to uh, a superior, maybe like someone that's older than us and in the imperative mood. But here we see that every petition and how Jesus teaches us how to pray is a powerful command. When we pray these petitions, we're not saying, can you be hallowed? Would you be hallowed? We're saying, be hallowed. That is the verbs, the imperative mood that Jesus is teaching in how we are to pray to the Father. If this has not already blown your mind, I'm gonna add one more layer. It's like inception. We're going to the deepest dream level right now. Um, the first, ver like the verbs in the first half, the first three petitions of the Lord's prayer, although they are powerful verbs, they're also, buckle up, in the passive form. They're so good. I don't know if you, this is, this is crazy stuff, man. So what do I mean? We're using these powerful verbs, these like command phrases, like the imperative mood, but they're also like passive, okay? Um, so instead of every time I've like gone over this line, I think of Emperor Palpatine, do it. Uh, we're, not saying, we're not saying do it, um, but we're saying be done. 
be done. There's, there's a passiveness to it, and that's also intentional because the passive voice softens the command. I think to allow space for the reverence that is needed when we approach the Father. I think it was so spot on in what Sylvia was sharing in that prayer moment because it is a bit of, of this tension of like the, our Father in heaven who is a creator of the universe seated on the throne, all powerful and all sovereign, but at the same time, he is our Papa. He leads us by the hand and he's so kind and he's willing to play with us in the throne room. It's this crazy dichotomy of who the Lord is. I think that's enough background information for now. So let's jump into this first petition. I think sometimes, um, you know, depending on how you've grown up and just like maybe your childhood and adolescence, I think for many people, there's a real challenge to beginning this prayer in the way that Jesus teaches. For some people, the word father actually carries serious baggage, depending on what your childhood, your family dynamic might be. For someone whose relationship with their earthly father is marked by abandonment, brokenness, um, and just hurt, it's kind of hard to pray to the Lord and address him as father when the only paradigm we have of father is a negative one. And so how does a person move past that? In John 14, Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples. And when you look at the chapter prior to chapter 14, which is chapter 13, um, there's a lot that's been going on in in Jesus' ministry in that season of life. Um, And in John 14, we see Jesus having this conversation where he's comforting his disciples. And so he has just washed their feet. Um, He's predicted Judas's betrayal. Um, He has foreshadowed Peter's eventual denial. And so the the tone, the atmosphere in the room at this moment was a pretty heavy one. And so this is what Jesus says to them. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, do you know, from, sorry, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So as people, as, as human beings, obviously our understanding of of a parent is shaped by our experiences with our earthly mothers and earthly fathers. And so how do we come to know our Father in heaven? It's through the person of Jesus. If you're wondering what our heavenly Father is like, the creator of the universe, get to know Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth, the the Jesus that we see throughout the Gospels. If your understanding of God, your understanding of the Father is this, Um, like creator of the universe that simply spoke creation into actuality and then stepped back and is just chilling. That is not the Bible that we see throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament. That is also called deism. You might be wondering, what is deism? It's the belief in the existence of a supreme being or God, specifically of a creator who does not intervene in the universe. Again, that's not the the God that we see throughout scripture, which is why it's so 
it's paramount that we actually, in our own personal life, actually read the Bible because that actually helps us to understand and get to know who God is. Seeing how involved the Father is in the life of Joseph and Moses and Joshua, uh, Jeremiah, shout out, Jeremiah, that's who I got named by. Um, looking at the New Testament and seeing literally in the person of Jesus, every conversation and interaction with those that he, he, he has conversations, especially with the marginalized, like that is the heart of God. That is how we know who the Father is. Even for our launch team, like I mentioned, our church, we just started in a formal sense, our church. And in the story of what Passion Church is, we don't have a sending church. Um, and, and if you didn't know, we live in one of the most expensive times, but also like the most expensive cities. And so the fact that we're meeting here right now is a miracle. Like we have experienced nothing but miracles and provision, but that's because God is with us. He is present in this room right now. And so before we keep moving forward, another really important thing to understand for us um, uh, in theology, theology is just the study of God. That's what that means. But the God that we worship, uh, and if you've ever noticed maybe some of the lyrics that we sing, um, the God that we worship is a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, that's another sermon series for another time, but that's really important because Jesus teaches here to pray to the Father. So who is the Father? We're, we're getting a little bit of context here. Why don't we look at God's name? Today, a person's name doesn't necessarily carry the same meaning as it did in the biblical times, in the biblical world. I'm sure everyone knows where, where they were when they heard the name of Elon Musk's son. If you didn't know, this name is quite unique. Um, I'm gonna literally quote him talking about his son's name. It starts with the letter X, then A-E. I should have put like the actual, like the name on. It's like the, I don't even know what A-E is. Is that like a code or something? A-E, which is pronounced Ash. Um, then there's an A-12 at the end of his name. This is what he says. The A-12 was my contribution, represents the Archangel 12 plane the precursor to the SR-71, coolest plane ever. Um, it is a cool plane. I actually had a model plane like this growing up. Um, but the fact that his name, the son's name is X-A-12. Um, again, you, you have all the reasoning here on how, and you can Google this. It's, 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 I mean, maybe nickname is X or Ash or A-12. A lot of options, to be honest. Um, but people's names today don't carry the same meaning as they did in the biblical times. For example, the apostle Peter was given his new name by Jesus. And so well, let's look at Matthew 16, 16 to 18 real quick. Simon Peter, again, Simon was his original name. Simon Peter, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. Um, he's commenting on the fact that he has declared him as the Messiah, as the son of God. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Jesus literally rebrands Simon to Peter here. It's a very powerful moment. Simon is given the name Peter. In the Greek, it would have been Petros. And the word Petros means rock, which is why he says, on this rock, I will build my church. 
And when you read throughout the book of Acts, which is short form for Acts of the Apostles, we see how the Spirit moves in the life of Peter. The book of Acts is the origin, the beginning of the church, the beginning of the local church. And to speak someone's name in the biblical time, in the ancient time, in the first century, to speak someone's name infers that person's character, their personality, who they were at the core of their being. Um, I was hoping that Isaac was going to be here today, um, but he's not here. That's okay. He's probably studying. Um, But his name actually uh, means laughter. Um, We even look at Isaac in the Old Testament. Like We see how kind of humorous the moment it it was when he was born um, in his parents' old age. But when I think of Isaac, for those that don't know him, he's hilarious for a lot of reasons. Um, I've known him since he was in grade three. I think he's like 22 now. And if you know him, any room that man steps into, it is just a good time. And his name is very representative of who he is. And so in biblical times, again, to speak someone's name, it carries information. It's almost like a profile. It's like someone's name was equivalent to like their Instagram feed, their Facebook, their uh, LinkedIn, their all the pins on Pinterest. Like it was their name represent who they were at the core of their being. But did you know that God's name is not God? God is a descriptive word, but not his name. God's covenant name is Yahweh, which biblical scholars believe to be the closest in the original pronunciation. When you read the Old Testament um, or the books of the law, you see often when um, the Lord is referred to, it's H, sorry, Y-H-W-H. There's a lot there um, because of like holiness and again, not enough time to actually go over that. But his covenant name, covenant meaning promise, his promise to his people, his name as he reveals is Yahweh. What does Yahweh mean? I am. And so when Moses meets the Lord in the desert, in the burning bush, Moses asks, what is your name? To which God replies in Exodus 3.14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you, referring to Moses. I am who I am. Um, I've quoted uh, Daryl Johnson, I think, a couple weeks back. He's, uh, he was a longtime prophet, regent, uh, the school that I study at, and a longtime pastor in the city. And uh, he describes um, the Lord's name, Yahweh, I am, in a really concise way. He says this, Yahweh means I am, but not just in the philosophical sense of I exist. It also means I am in a relational sense. I am there with you and for you. Yahweh is the covenant name. All the covenants God has ever made with humanity have the phrase, I, Yahweh, will be your God. Meaning, I will be your God with you and for you. Meaning, all that makes me be God, I placed at your disposal. Meaning, all that I am, I give to you. Our Father in heaven is with you and for you. That's the God that we worship. And have you ever wondered what Jesus' name means? Jesus' name in Hebrew is Joshua or Yeshua, which means Yahweh saves. Lastly, what is the meaning of the verb hallowed? Hallowed. Hallowed isn't really a common word that we hear today, especially even in Christian circles. We don't often hear the word hallowed. 
this verb, hallowed, again, action word. Here's the, here's the action. Uh, this verb is related to the adjective holy, holy. And so quite literally, it means to holify, to holify. Seems a bit odd because obviously God is already holy. His name is already holy. And so when Moses was approaching the Lord in the burning bush in Exodus, Moses actually has to take off his sandals off because it was holy ground. And so when we actually pray this first petition, we're praying your name be treated as holy. We're praying your name be declared name above every other name. We're putting everything into perspective. When we, bring, when we bring our prayers to the Lord and we begin with this first petition, we are declaring that Jesus, that our Father in heaven is seated on the throne. Um, this term seated on the throne in the first century context because they were living in the Roman Empire. And so for the world at that time, Caesar would have been the God at that time, seated on the throne. So to say that the Father, Jesus, is seated on the throne, it denotes this aspect of sovereignty, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so when we begin our our prayers with, with naming the titles of who God is, Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, first and last, great I am, good shepherd, King of kings, Lord of lords, we're putting him on the throne. Because when we have our eyes fixated on the Lord, all of a sudden it puts all of our worries, our anxieties in place. It locates us. It locates our heavenly reality in Christ with our earthly realities. To know that all of our worries, all of our hardships is in the palm of his hand. As Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, the word Father that is used is Abba. In the Hebrew or Aramaic of Jesus' day, the language that they would have most, again, most likely been saying, the word Abba can be translated into English as Papa. This title of Abba, it, it is this, this term of endearment. It, it, it reveals the intimacy that is accessible through Christ. And so as, you know, the disciples, they see Jesus. In, and again, when you read the Gospels, so often Jesus withdraws to quiet places to spend time with his father. And again, his disciples, they probably realize, man, everything that he does, every miracle, every teaching, how he carries himself flows from his relationship with the father. And because of Christ's sacrifice, the atonement that is his life, death, and resurrection, we too now inherit that reality that we too are sons and daughters of the living God. I believe Jesus is very intentional and purposeful in teaching us to begin our, pray- our prayers with having our eyes fixated on the Father. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Again, when we begin with having our eyes fixated on the Lord, knowing who we're praying to, It informs how we carry ourselves. It locates where we are, our worries, the hardships, the troubles, everything going on, to know that God is in control. God is sovereign. We might not understand why something might be happening, but to know in the sovereignty of God, he has a plan and a will for your life. Let's pray.